When some people look at the Catholic Church today, they see a church in crisis. Others, however, see signs of a great and growing renewal. Join us today as we talk about those signs with Dr. Ann Hendershot, director of the Veritas Center for Ethics and Public Life at Franciscan University and co-author of the new book, Renewal, How a New Generation of Faithful Priests and Bishops Are Revitalizing the Catholic Church. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. Today we'll be talking about the renewal in the Catholic Church. I'm Michael Hernan, your host, Vice President of Advancement here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. And I'm joined in the studio uh, by our, our regular panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the uh, Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization here at Franciscan University. Uh, and we're joined today by Dr. Ann Hendershot. Prior to joining the faculty here at Franciscan University, you were the uh, Distinguished uh, Professor uh, of Public Policy at the King's College in New York City. Uh, you previously also were a tenured professor and Chair of Sociology at the University of San Diego. You've written a lot of books. I've read you in the Wall Street Journal and, and secular and Catholic uh, journals. You've written a number of books, uh, but the topic for today uh, is the book Renewal, uh, How uh, New uh, Faithful Priests and Bishops Are Revitalizing the Catholic Church. You're also the, uh, a new professor here at the I, university I and the director of our new uh, center, our Veritas Center for Ethics and Public Life. So welcome to the program. Oh, thank it's you. so wonderful. Well, she has any you. time to do television. I know. I know. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much. I'm thrilled and happy to talk about the book and the good news in our church because there really is some good news finally. Well, it's a great book. Oh, yes. thank yeah. you. That's yeah. so nice of you. Yes, so it, it, just to start us off, if, if somebody was looking at the evening news, was looking at the reports from the media, what kind of view would they have of the Catholic Church? It would probably be negative. That's the, <laughs> that was the sadness for me. Um, I write a lot about the church because I always feel like I need to defend it. I'm kind of like you, Scott, although I could never aspire to that. But I, I get angry when the church is attacked, mm. and I feel like I need to respond <laughs> and sometimes I respond a little too strongly but there was some good news and I kind of wanted to bring it. Um, I decided to write the book because I was noticing all these books that were being written about our church that I didn't recognize. I mean the most recent of course is Gary Will's book, you know, Why Priests? I mean yeah. Yeah. in a failed tradition. Now 2,000 years of priests is hardly a failed tradition. So that's, that's the failure. You know? in yeah, I know that's a failure. Yeah, Only that's a 2, book 000. filled with deception. Oh, it and is. I mean, it's we had to wait 2,000 years for Gary to yeah, pronounce it. Yeah, failed. But it's failed. <laughs> you know, and but there were so many more before that, and I wasn't even responding to his because I had already started the book before mm. his book came out. But books like The Death of a Clergy. Um, full pews, empty altars. Uh, there were, the emerging Catholic Church, which is a church that, 
you know, all of these are books that are written by, well, some National Catholic reporter, editors, um, former priests, uh, people like Paul Lakeland, who wrote a book called The Liberation of the Laity, How the Laity Will Save the Church. Mm. Um, all of these were predicting the end of the clergy, the end of the priesthood. Right. Why would they be perpetuating that kind of image? Why? why? Because they're liberal Episcopalians <laughs> deep down. <laughs> well, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, and you're far too young to remember the no. 1960s. But uh, the death of God was the great rage. Right. Uh, and every week or so, Time Magazine would feature his funeral uh, on the front cover. And I, I do remember, remember that. vividly uh, the piece of graffiti uh, in the subway system uh, under your apartment probably in New York. <laughs> New York City. It said, God is dead, signed Nietzsche. Yeah. And then a day or so later, it scratched out, Nietzsche is dead, signed God. Oh, I love <laughs> he that. has the last <laughs> word. He knows how this to pop out of the grave. Yeah. So it's not new. Uh, we, we've heard no, it, it all isn't. before. No, it isn't. And when I started the book, it was started really kind of in anger. And it was called Beyond the Catholic Culture Wars because I wanted to really take on this group. So I asked a former student of mine, Chris White, who was just brilliant, a King's student, and he had graduated and he does some research for me. And I asked him to come along and help me out. And Chris is a new Catholic yeah. and loves the church. And I thought, well, he'll be great. He might help me see you know, things that I didn't see. And what he saw was that I was being a little too negative. <laughs> and he tried to say it in a nice way. He said, you know, I collect all this data and there's good news, but you ignore all the good news and you just focus on the bad, you know, the, these people that are writing books. He says, you have to move beyond that. Wow. And so I invited him to be part of the book. And I'm so glad I did because... Yeah, but you are, you are targeting the people properly still in the book. While you're emphasizing the good news, you're identifying oh, people. Oh, yeah, I couldn't let them go by. Yeah. <laughs> the fact is, we're a family. And so when you grow up in a family that has sinners, you know there's dysfunction. When you hear outsiders criticizing it, or people who have really left it and are pretending still to be insiders in a kind of parasitical posture, That's you want to say, you know what, we're worse than you say, but not where you say it, right. you know? Right. Yeah. And, and so you have to correct that sort of thing. And at the same time, acknowledge our failings but they have nothing to do with the inherent structure that Christ gave us in the I church. Know. And sometimes I forget that, you that's know, right. and that's why this, I'm very grateful that yeah, God a helpful, gave me. A helpful analogy, I, I think, is the world of sports. Mm. If you wanted to find out what does it mean to be physically fit, I, I don't think you would uh, interview people with rickets. Uh, you, you would check out people who lift weights. Yeah. You know, what, what is it like uh, to try to build your body, physical culture? Right. And, and likewise, when you want to know something about the church, maybe you should talk to those who pray, pay, and obey, and better yet, the saints That's right. uh, who yes. have blazed a trail uh, through this world. You're they right. know something from the inside. I mean, nobody's going to be a Catholic because they read Gary Wills. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. No, and I don't think he wants them to be. You know what I, I think, too, is that there are, um, there are a lot of faithful Catholics who are just inundated with what they see in the media and what they hear from all these sources because the, those people in the media, they, they love to read the Gary Wills and all these other Lakeland they and do. so forth. And so they get this perception. And then we faithful Catholics sometimes wonder, are we un as unhealthy and as, as failing as they sometimes say? And what is the difference? What are some of the, the quick you know, points of difference where the media views the health of the Catholic Church between what you found in some of your, uh, your well, work? Well, that's a really good question. The media views our church as a church in decline, yeah. that we don't have enough priests for our parishes, 
And that's just not true. Mm. There is a lot of good news. I mean, so not all parishes and not all dioceses have increases in vocations, but many of them do. And we focus on the ones that do. And we look at the transformational leaders that are leading those dioceses because yeah. that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that is good news. Yeah, I, I was really struck by, by one quote from Bernard Cook of uh, unhappy memory of the ex-Jesuit priest yeah. who predicted uh, some of the most dire consequences. I, I think uh, he used the phrase liturgical starvation, starvation. if we don't ordain women yes. uh, and married priests. Well, we haven't done that yet, and I don't, I don't see too many signs of liturgical starvation. No, really I mean, people not. who go to Mass every morning would be greatly surprised to know that uh, their diet is, is that anemic, that yeah. they're literally starving. That's right. <laughs> I know. You know, it is. Bernard Cook is one of those examples. His name is really legion, for there are many. You know, when you look at the writings of these theologians when they started off, and they were faithful to the church out of yeah. seminary and that sort of thing. Right. And then you trace the trajectory, you know, when they began to dissent, and when they break their vows, and when they leave, and when they turn on the church, when they attack her traditions, you know, you can see how the earlier writings are sufficient to completely refute, but it's not about just ideas. Right. It's about people who, like us, have weaknesses, yeah. but who then transfer those weaknesses to the church. That's right. And who basically look to the culture and conform their values then to fit in better. And at the end of the day, it is a tragedy. You know, not only for the wasted energies and gifts, but also for the deception that comes down upon people. But the fact is, the last 35 years have witnessed not only the, some of the greatest popes in history, but some bishops that you point out that are emerging, and leaders, clergy, and lay. I mean, it's, it's beyond the dawn. I mean, the light is really shining bright. It is, and I think the good news is that these bishops, these courageous bishops, are taking on these theologians. That's right. Finally, yeah. like Paul Lakeland at Fairfield University was part of a, an attempted takeover in Connecticut of the Catholic Church. That's right. The state in 2009 tried to take over the church, take over the governance of the church. Only the Roman Catholic Church, no other churches, yeah. wanted to take over the finances. And Paul Lakeland led that charge. Right. Um, yeah. It was unbelievable. And Archbishop Laurie, now Archbishop, he was Bishop of Bridgeport, Bridgeport at the yeah. time, he wasn't going to let it happen. That was a fantastic stand. It was stand. unbelievable. But it's not just the yes. bishops. It's also nature who's against these dissenters because geriatrics has a way of catching up with them. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, there's, there's a whole revitalized uh, renewal within the seminaries and all these other things oh, that you really point is. to that I know we'll get into. You, you, you have to acknowledge that it finally isn't a matter of ideas that drive these people, but a kind of hatred that animates no, them. I've followed Gary Wills' career for a long time, and one of his first books was called Bare Ruined Choirs, which was oh. really very spiteful, and it yeah. evinced a great hatred for his mother, the church. And, and that accounted, I think, yeah. for the polemic, and yet he's taken seriously. He has no, no standing, no credibility. Nevertheless, he's the darling of the media. He's the go-to guy when they need some sort of uh, uh, position uh, on the I know, because he's always got a great left. soundbite about right. some yeah. travesty or another. Yeah. You know, yeah, they need to be ignored. Yeah. I mean, the world moves on. I would like to ignore guys. them, but that's yeah. part of the problem. They still have an influence. Yeah. They're teaching in our Catholic colleges, many of them. Yeah. Paul Lakeland teaches at Fairfield. Uh, many of them are still having an influence. Yeah. I mean, we think they call themselves, uh, this voice of the faithful crowd, call themselves revolutionaries in Rockports to, to say, you know, they're yeah. older. 
but they still are training the next generation of yeah. theologians. Yeah, you know, when I came into the church back in 86, then B Monsignor Breskowitz, he later oh, became the Bishop of, of he's Lincoln. He's one of those courageous You know, we were, we were in the midst of this Charles Curran crisis, you know, and uh, I, was all get, I was getting all worked up because, you know, the, the effect that he was having upon the people, the students, and he was like, well, you know, if students are really seeking the truth, they're gonna find it. Yes, yes, but, but, but. And he's like, look, the church prepares us for the future. He said, Charles Curran is going to be a tiny footnote 100 years from now yeah. in a moral manual and nothing more. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I gotta get that eternal perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah, helps yeah. a lot, you yeah. know. The church thinks in terms of centuries. We think in terms yeah. of sound bites. It, it's sort of like bragging that you're the tallest building in Wichita. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the church is towering over yeah. all of these uh, pseudo uh, huts that uh, squat in And in the bishops the know place. that. I mean, that's yeah. why like Bishop Breskowitz has had amazing success in generating vocations. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing success yeah. I, in a just, place like Lincoln. And I just know so many of my, my friends, my contemporaries, classmates from the university who really, John Paul II, you know, led a, a whole new renewal, read, led a charge. And there are so much that I think that, that um, this next generation is really looking to, and they have a very different perspective yeah. uh, than those who've gone they before do. them. And mm -hmm. that's, that's substantial. And I know you point to a lot of that. Well, as, as we continue to go down this path, um, you know, what do you hope people will get? from reading your book? What are some of the things you'd hope they take away? Hope, uh, yeah. <laughs> that hope. is hope. Yeah. Yeah. Hope that their church, that the Catholic Church is still alive and well and yeah. flourishing and yeah. will continue to flourish. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, all of us here on this panel know that, but there are a lot of people who don't know that. We need that. I mean, not just the theological virtue of supernaturally infused hope. We need natural hope. We need to recognize that because Christ is the one who has established this church and protects it, right. you know, all of these other things notwithstanding. But at the same time, what your book is doing for me and for others is giving them tangible evidence, empirical proof, you know, mm -hmm. case right. after case after case. And, you know, though I came in back in the 80s, I know people who were holding down the fort like you were, Regis, in the 60s and the 70s. And they'll tell me, you have no idea what it was like, you know? Yeah. And so when I get a little discouraged, they're like, it is so much better than we had enough faith to pray for back then, you know? Mm -hmm. And your book is just a really hard-hitting yeah. proof of all that. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think that's, that's really, really important. And as we go into the next segment, I just want to just dive into uh, what are some of those signs of renewal, yeah. those signs of hope? Let's look at some of those, those tangible data, some of those things that you're really okay. looking at. Mm -hmm. uh, stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. My daughter, Sister Mary Anthony, joined the St. Cecilia Congregation of Dominicans in Nashville, Tennessee five years ago. They're a religious order of about 300 sisters. Just prior to her joining, she had attended a youth conference in Steubenville at Franciscan University where she had witnessed these sisters' uh, prayer life, their genuine joy, their love for Christ and the church, and that sparked her vocation, which we're very thankful to God. Well, as vocation director for the community, and a director of the affiliate house at Franciscan University. The men that we see coming to us um, give us great hope. They, um, not only are they intelligent men and not only are they prayerful, but they have an interior life. Um, they've, they're seeking Christ and in doing that, um, they're open to the possibility of doing God's will, um, no matter what that might be, including the religious life and the priesthood. So they're very rooted in prayer and they're very open to what God wants. And we know we trust that 
um, and being that open and that discerning that they'll find uh, what God has for them and that will serve uh, the church and the world. I'm Dan McNally. I'm a theology major here at Franciscan University. I love studying theology. It's my passion. But I mean, I love learning too. You walk out of the classroom, so you want to know more. You don't want the lecture to end. So, I mean, that's a really great thing about being a part of a student body is you can continue to discuss outside. It's not just studying to, to make a grade. It's, it's learning to you know, improve yourself, and not just through your own personal prayer or your own personal study, but through community, because that's what we're made for. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about renewal within the Catholic Church with scholar and author, uh, Dr. Ann Hendershot. Um, and we, we've seen some of the images and some of the negative things of that, that are portrayed about the church that we know aren't true, uh, not all of them at least. Um, when you look at, and even just the last decade, what has happened with the ordination of the priests uh, in our country particularly? It's good news. Is it? Every year is an increase in ordinations. Now we still don't have enough, now, I want you to repeat um, that because yes, most people think we're in vocations crisis. Yes, but every year there's crisis, an increase, you know, yeah. absolutely, and in some dioceses, tremendous increases. Really? Like New, uh, Newark, New Jersey, Lincoln, Nebraska, as we talked about earlier. Philadelphia will have them. I mean, we see tremendous increases, and crazy. most people don't know. What we did, my co-author and I, is we looked at the past decade in the Kennedy Directory. Um, because nothing is online. Mm. So it takes a good graduate student <laughs> and a tireless researcher to go through every Kennedy directory by hand and look at each diocese and look at how many ordinations were in that diocese each mm. year. It's all done by hand. It's hard to believe that we have to do that. And you have to purchase the Kennedy directory. But now the chart's in the back of your book. But now That's we right. have it, yes, we have it. That's so other awesome. people can use it. And the news is very good, Yeah, very good. Um, not in all dioceses, but in many of them. But again, it's, it's confirmation that the so-called crisis in vocations was really a crisis of faith, that where leadership had lost the faith, right. people yeah. lost interest in sacrificing and pursuing the priesthood. But where the faith was strong or where it's coming back, you're gonna right. see an increase the in vocations. The bishops who refuse to believe that and Cardinal Mahoney, a lot of um, Orthodox Catholics don't agree with everything he did, but he was very strong in rejecting that. 1993 book, Full Pews, Empty Altars by Schoner. Schoner, um, the author of that book with his co-author Young, they were hired by the USCCB to do a projection of vocations and they presented to the USCCB annual meeting and said, bad news, you're gonna have to start ordaining women. You're gonna have to start allowing men to be married. And Cardinal Mahoney was the only one that stood up and said, this is nonsense. Christ has promised us priests. I mean, I yeah. He's always I been very strong him. on vocation. He has. Yeah. He knew. Yeah. He said, yeah. this is sociology, although I didn't take that personally. He said, this is sociology. <laughs> right. We're talking right. about Christ. Right, here. yeah. That is the larger implication, it is. I, I That's think, right. that if the news were truly bad, then the prospect is something unspeakable, uh, horrendously awful. It would mean God had ceased to call people. It would, because he promised us priests. That's right. He had, he had, he had, I will give you he had broken his word. He had yes. been lying to us. Uh, right. it, it's the response that needs to be awakened. And, and by George, it's happening. It may not be a mushroom, but the indices are very good. The very trajectory positive. is strong. Right. Yeah. So right. when, when you look at it, is it, is it universal? 
uh, throughout the whole church, or is it diocese by diocese? It's diocese by diocese. There okay. are some, but more diocese yes. now than more. twenty years yes. ago, and which is many exciting. More. And that's why I say this new generation of, yeah. and it's not just that they're young bishops, but this new generation of bishops like Chapu, you know, that are exciting people and and inspiring young men to go So that's really seminary. your point, that they represent sort of a catalyst. They are. They're right. the spark plugs. And we call them the transformational leaders, right. Cardinal Dole. And if yeah. they weren't yes. there, then the vocations would more or less dry right. up. All right, so if we're talking about transformational leaders, what, what, what define that for us. If it, if it is Orthodox. by diocese, orthodoxy. <laughs> orthodoxy, okay. faithfulness, courage. Yeah. Um, out there right. with the people, yeah. yes. Yeah, and Eucharistic adoration, and Marian and devotion, prayer, I know. And, and joy. Yeah. You know, exactly. I, when, I, when I went back to Rome in the 90s, and then Monsignor Dolan was the rector of the North American College, there was such a tangible revitalization. Everybody was re-energized, mm. and the momentum has just kept growing since he left, yes. and others have come, and that's, you know, that's the breeding ground for future bishops. I know, no, you're not supposed to say that, but everybody knows it. You no, know? it is. Yeah. And, and as you point out, more and more dioceses, more and more bishops, but I think it's significant too that you're pointing out more and more archdioceses, yeah. more and more right. archbishops, you know, like, like New York City, like Newark, right. like Baltimore with Archbishop Laurie and others. Right. It's amazing. People who are willing to confront the culture that's right. too and confront yeah. the politicians, the people in power, like yeah. Archbishop Laurie with the HHS mandate. Yeah. People see that and they, they get inspired. And they're drawn, to they're drawn to that. Not I just am. Catholics, but evangelical Protestants. <laughs> yeah, too, yeah. You know? e even in our small little diocese here in Steubenville, uh, Bishop Monforton's only been our bishop for about a year, yeah. but he's a man's man. He's a holy man. He he's a man who exudes the joy and love for the priesthood. And we've already doubled the number of men who are oh, discerning and, you know, I, I in the diocese. I can see it happening. You know, he's, right. He worked with Cardinal Meda, and, it was, yeah. and oh. so how could we miss? Yeah. We're very blessed here in Steubenville. He also was part of the apostolic visitation of seminaries. Yes. So he saw firsthand yes. what needs to be done right. in That's our right. seminaries, well, that, and he's that, doing it. Yeah, They're that all was doing the point that Powerful. Cardinal George made in, yes. in that celebrated uh, 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 polemic. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, liberalism, liberal Catholicism is just an exhausted project. Right. Yes. It doesn't generate life. Parasitic on a it, substance that no right. longer gives life. <laughs> not, not too flattering. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. I, know, I love that. Well, I, and I love this quote that you use from Archbishop Curtis, which I think is kind of oh, the, the, yeah. the kind of the, the, the He's the one here. who really inspired the book to tell really? the truth. Yeah. Well, I just yeah. love this quote. When dioceses and religious communities are unambiguous about the ordained priesthood and a, a vowed religious life, when there is strong support for vocations and a, a minimum of dissent about the male celibate priesthood and religious life, loyal to the magisterium, when the bishops and priests, religious and lay, are united in vocation ministry, there is documented increases in the number of candidates who respond to the call. And, and that, that sounds like that was the, the maxim, that was the challenge that you took and up and said, let's... that's what we took up yeah. from there. We wanted to sort of test his hypothesis. Right, yeah. Because his hypothesis is the more orthodox the bishop, the more inspiring the bishop, the more vocations there will be. Yeah. He had no data. Yeah. But you presented a we lot of data. We tried. I mean, we can't say definitively that we have the answers, but we present a lot of data. And we, our indicators of orthodoxy are the most outspoken, mm. the most defensive of our church teachings. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say the most charismatic, because there yeah. are many of our bishops that we call transformative leaders, we wouldn't call charismatic in the traditional sense, but in yeah. the holy sense. Yeah. Charisma sure. is a gift from God, yeah. um, like Bishop Olmsted. He's quiet, 
but he's charismatic in that right. he's so holy and courageous right. and inspired. When you describe the bishop in those terms, that's exactly who came to mind. I just spent a couple yes, of days with know. Bishop Olmsted. Yeah. And when you meet him, you're like, he's a quiet, quiet, you know, he's not an extrovert like Colonel Dole. But he has charisma. Then after 40 hours, you're like, no wonder there is so much it's renewal, exploding. you know, yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's no secret. It, it's, it's really a love affair if you fall yeah. passionately in love with with Christ and you're drawn uh, to the priesthood, then you will set the world on fire. It, yeah, it's pretty right. simple. That's it's right. not rocket science. No, it it's is. sort of like music. If you love the violin, then by George, you're going to play well. I mean, you have to practice, yeah. but there has to be that enthusiasm you know, for making right. music. You know, there's a, a kind of a, a dark underside that really isn't that dark, but somewhat <laughs> bright because from a, from a non-supernatural perspective, and I've got to be careful because I'm going to quote someone who might be, you know, a colleague or a competitor, but Rodney Stark, oh, uh, a sociologist of religion yeah. who's now down at Baylor, has pointed out in many studies that the more demanding a religious system is, right. the more commitment it generates from its adherents. Yeah. You know, it's counterintuitive uh, uh, until you experience the joy that comes from sacrifice. Yeah. But it seems to me that, you know, theologically we can explain it, but sociologically we can also verify it. Oh yeah, Rodney Stark has shown in many studies, brilliant yeah. studies, mm. that the more demands you make on believers, the more they want to believe. That's you know, right. The, the more expectations. Well, the Marines, you know, I mean, they don't have any trouble I know, finding a few good men. <laughs> and, and Mother Teresa's outfit, yes. uh, the Missionaries of Charity, you can't find a more austere group than... But there has than, to be a reason to belong. But they, they right. find people. They, they don't have The trouble. reason to belong. You know, when you do cost-benefit analysis, it's changed when suddenly the benefits are eternal and right. divine. You know, then the costs, no matter how great, will seem small you know, incomparably so compared to what it is that we're going to be gaining. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think just even like we, at the university, we have these youth conferences that go on oh, every summer with 45,000 last summer. But one of the things the experts said, oh, this, this model won't work. You've got to entertain the kids more. You've right. got to do more of this. But we presented the unadulterated gospel. We, we talked about life in this accident, virtue, holiness. And, and even from these conferences now, we're seeing 11 and 12 percent uh, of all the men ordained in the priesthood are being influenced by these youth conferences. I mean, the USCCB did this study, and I think it's because they get the, the, the presence of Christ um, in the Eucharist presented to them in a way that they hadn't seen before mm -hmm. as young people. In an and they're, they, yeah, they're sparked, or the World Youth Days that Holy Father John Paul II started, but now they continue. There are so many who are saying, that's what I want. I want to see people like John Paul II, people like the priest in my parish who is out there who loves the priesthood and are drawn into that. I mean, that to me is what's going to change and is changing yeah. the church. Uh, and so if we look at the, the priesthood as a whole, uh, that, that explains some things and the bishops and their leadership role. What has changed maybe in some of the formation that happens and how does that affect Well, the seminaries, this? like I said, our own bishop from Steubenville is part of that visitation and mm. they identified areas that we need to really address. Mm. And the bishops who um, are very involved in their seminarians, that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, in uh, St. Louis, Bishop Carlson's, um, he's had wonderful vocations and he's very involved. They have things like Operation Andrew, named after the Apostle Andrew, and they have special dinners where the bishop interacts with the seminarians. Um, one bishop sends birthday presents and cards to the seminarians, a special book that he thinks they'll enjoy. Mm -hmm. 
the bishops who are involved with their seminarians, um, it makes all the difference in yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah. in that case, Archbishop Carlson also found a friend of ours, uh, Father John Horn, to be the rector of the seminary, oh. mm. who just invests himself personally, spiritually, theologically, academically, in the seminarians. I mean, it really creates a family spirit. Yes. And the formation is not just academic, it really is holistic. And I think that, uh, yeah, again, rays of hope all over. Yeah. Why did it take so long uh, for, for all of no. these good things? I know, it seems like these are common sense right. things. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. well, that's what I don't understand. Because they are. Yes. Yeah. They really yes. are. Yeah. I think I mean, ideology when you're blinds nice to us to people. I mean, if you, you love football and you join a team, it would be sort of bizarre if the coach were completely indifferent uh, yeah. to your formation. Right. Uh, why, why, why did we have to wait this long? Yeah, I don't know. What, what was so retarding? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good I, I think question. I know, I but don't I don't want to depress answer. anybody. Well, you know, I, I, one thing, and there are many, but one thing I believe is this, that, that bishops and priests are pastors, they're shepherds, and so, you know, when they're taking their flock through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and there is so much polarization emerging in the culture, and there's so much confusion because the formation of these Catholics was never sufficient or adequate. And so, you know, you want to be compromising, you know, because ideology polarizes and you don't want it to, and, and I think this peace, peace when there is no peace, yeah. to quote the prophet yeah. Jeremiah. I think people were sort of like, you know, we, we've got to maintain the peace. You know, meanwhile, there were so many sheep leaving to go to other flocks. Instead of leaving the 99 to go to get the one, they watched the 99 become 89 and 79 and, you know, just... But I, I think we recognize now, the culture has made it clear, we almost want to thank the devil because black and white has become so stark that you can no longer accommodate yourself to the culture and you know, look yourself in the mirror and say, I am a Catholic. Yeah, and have any semblance of yeah, that. Identity. I mean, yeah. Yeah. in the 70s and 80s, there was still a sufficient grounds for confusion. Yeah. You know, the HHS mandate true. and other things just make it so it's not. It is so true. That it's drawn true. us together. That's you know, true. you have this wonderful quote from Walker Percy that oh, adorns your book Walker on the front yes, piece. Sam. May I read part of it? Because I, I think it's, it, it resonates with all that we've, <laughs> we've been discussing. Never in history has modern man been in greater need of you. He's addressing the seminarians. Such loneliness in the midst of crowds, such hunger in the face of satiation, a more fertile ground for the seed and the harvest the Lord spoke of. We've never seen uh, conditions like these. All that we need is a bearer of the good news who speaks it with such authenticity that it can penetrate the most exhausted hearing, revive the most jaded language. With you lies the future and the hope. You and the church you serve may be only a remnant, but it will be a saving remnant. This was delivered in 1983 to the seminary at St. Joseph's. Is it still open, that seminary? I'm not even sure. I think it is. But now that you mention it, I'm not sure. But he knew what was coming. That's prophetic. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I'm a huge Walker Percy yeah. fan, and he knew. I just love the idea of a remnant, people like Scott and you. Yeah. And yeah. You're, we are remnants. Yeah. That's, I mean, well, <laughs> I don't mean so to. Yeah. We all are. Lord, hear our way. prayer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, stay with us on Franciscan University Presents as we go deeper into meeting the challenges uh, faced by our church. The priestly discernment program has given me an overwhelming amount of peace. Uh, I believe it's the holy hours uh, in our commitment. We do Eucharistic holy hours. 
And every time I come out of a holy hour, I just feel so at peace. I feel one with God, and it really helps me in discerning His call. One of my favorite aspects of the priestly discernment program is the brotherhood. To be in a brotherhood where I'm meeting men who have similar stories to me, similar backgrounds, and are in a similar place in their life where they're trying to just discern the will of God in their life. Um, so we're able to build each other up, uh, share our daily struggles, and just continue to encourage each other to walk on this path that God's called us together. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program springs forth from the very mission and the heart of Franciscan University. Uh, the studio is right here on our campus. Um, the cameras and the equipment are being operated by our students. Our regular panelists and, and today our, our special guests are all faculty here at Franciscan University. Um, and we, we, we've talked a little bit about some of the, the the challenges in the in the first segment that the church had insofar as our perception and image and the health of the church. We've gotten into some of the greater statistics and, 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 and some solid uh, reasons for, for some natural hope, um, but, but there's still more out there. Is there a threat to the church's unity in the future? Um, and, you know, what are some of the challenges, I guess, really the church is still facing in the days ahead? Well, you know, culture is always about struggle and church culture is also always about struggle. Um, We'll face these challenges till the end of time, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, we hope to just keep making progress. But there are still some dioceses that are lagging behind others. And with the lack of vocations, they tend to put pastoral administrators in place of the priest and um, have the priest just visit and consecrate the Eucharist. And that doesn't do anything to encourage more vocations. So it's a downward so spiral. So it's a downward almost. spiral. Mm -hmm. Those, there are several dioceses that haven't had any vocations. And, and, and it's hard to then get out of that cycle. When it is. When have less vocations. When you don't have you know. role models in the parishes right. and you have yeah. perhaps a woman who's the pastoral administrator and has a helper who's a priest, people don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very confusing And that's a at the problem. Least. Yeah. There's a role for the lady, and I'm grateful that the church has given us so many roles. Uh, my co-author and I are very involved in several different areas of our church. But I don't think the role well, of the Well, you know, I mean, is Jesus that. is pretty unambiguous when he says, without me you can do nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and if the priest is alter Christus, then without him we can do nothing. And there's not right. much to commend nothing. It has nothing uh, to advertise. Right. Uh, this is true. So, if the galvanic figure is the priest uh, and the bishop, the chief shepherd of, of all of these priests and all the sheep ourselves, then if he's not up to speed, then in the aftermath of his departure, uh, you're going to have a desert. Uh, and you are, it, and we are seeing Right, so it's not surprising. In those very few, very few. But there are still but places are that still are experiencing that. Yeah, but they can be replenished. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the water is, is bountiful. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, the sacraments themselves will give us the life. However, when you approach the sacraments as though they're mere rituals and not yeah. realities that are divine, you know, there's a certain sense in which the strength of the mystical body will be sapped. Right, seeing the priest as just the instrumental. You give a lot of examples. Fathers you know, me, where the, the priest just comes in, consecrates yeah. the Eucharist, runs away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and they're perceived as being sacramental functionaries I who know. have no business getting involved in the I know. daily life of when the I, we've, we've published several interviews with pastoral lay leaders, and one said, I don't like it when the parishioners don't realize that I'm the one in charge, and they think the priest should be in charge. Just because he administers yes. sacraments. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That, that, that quote really jumped off the page. I want to shift the subject, yes. though, because... Yeah. Yeah. But, but here, here's, here's another quote, which I, I regard as sort of Exhibit A, uh, when you're trying to catalog the mess that we inherited. This was uttered 30 years ago by Bishop Hubbard, uh, who instructed his priests that it's time to let go of your priestly identity, and I envision your role to be initiators, coordinators, and facilitators of ministries. Others. And if that's the case, then why would anybody want to become a priest? Yeah, unless, because we want the identity to be strong. And the good news it's is that it is. That I identity mean, is rooted Regis, in right. the very being. To be an initiator and a facilitator? What would you sign up for that? I know. I could That's see right. young men everywhere yeah. wanting to sign up for that. Well, you've fingered it, I, I think. If you're going to give up all of that, make a holocaust of your manhood, you know, be worthy of the flame <laughs> consuming you, I think you want something a little more than, than a facilitating community. I know. I think so, too. Well, and taking a little twist off of this, um, you know, we do see some things, dioceses that are, are struggling. We also look over to, uh, to, to Europe and we see some, this church struggling. You know, is, is that a, a history that we can learn from or is that a fate uh, of, of our church, at least yeah. in some of these oh, areas? Oh, it's not a fate of Good. our church. I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I, was, I wouldn't I have written this book. This <laughs> <laughs> called Renewal. But I mean, they have this demographic winter going on there and then they have the upsurge of Muslim power. Yeah, yeah. And so we're not faced with that. I mean, so we still have new members coming in. Yeah, which they Many don't really, members, they in general. Don't. There are some bright lights uh, that are beginning over there. Um, yeah. but, but in the U.S., uh, with so much challenges, with all of these things against culture and so many things that are waging war on the church, what are those signs of hope, the, 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 the new evangelization, the, the uh, new springtime? What, what, what do you see? Exciting, it really is. I mean, I love George Weigel's new book the new, on the new evangelization. And we see it every day when we turn on television or we see a billboard as I'm coming up to school that yeah. he's missing you, come home. Yes, that's right. Um, that that's coming right. home, that, uh, you know, Catholics that new... Home, yeah. yeah, I love that Catholics yeah. come home yeah. advertising. Focus is one of the best. My husband and I are right now helping to support a young missionary who went to one of your, uh, he's from Connecticut, yeah. so we knew him. He actually works at the golf course where my husband plays golf. <laughs> That's great. And he's on a mission. He's working at um, James Madison College as part of FOCUS, which is the uh, yeah. Fellowship, Fellowship of, of Catholic University Catholic. students. Thank you. Right. <laughs> I call it FOCUS. Yeah. And the leader of that, uh, Curtis Martin, is a graduate of right. Franciscan, right. his master's in theology, so yeah. I'm sure you know him. That's an exciting thing. Yeah. And my husband was like, Franciscan did this. You know, he was, yeah. I was thrilled. That's because, great. you know, yeah. I want my husband to appreciate Franciscan as much as I do. Yeah. And he will, because yeah. he's very impressed by this young man who was inspired by you and now is giving up a year of his life. But he wouldn't say yeah. it that way. I yeah. see it that way. 
to go and evangelize. So there, there are these, these new movements, oh, this new evangelization mm -hmm. that's going on. And how is that impacting vocations? How does oh, that affect? Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. You know, I'm, we can't say which of these components do, but I'm sure it is. Yeah. Especially focus. But I mean, yeah. focus is perhaps the flagship in America mm -hmm. of the new evangelization because it's become something like a Catholic campus crusade or intervarsity. But I mean, the very fact that people are tuning into EWTN and watching us and other programs, I mean, right. talk about you know the, the uh, aircraft carrier of the new evangelization in America and also the National Catholic Register. You know, I never thought I would subscribe to a magazine after I'd kind of given up on the wander years ago because it just made me down. <laughs> yeah. But the, the register is to me you know, uh, and for my kids, uh, they'll read it when I put it out on the counter. Good yeah, news and stories. book reviews and movies and all yeah. kinds of things. Beyond the media, the publishing houses, the colleges that are renewed, right. you know, and the uh, television that Father Barron, yeah, oh, word, yeah. on word, word on fire, fire. Oh, fire. Yes. and that that series, uh, Catholicism, the Catholicism, you brought that out to yeah. Yeah. Uh, the beauty that uh, is some, that somehow mediates yeah. the holiness and the truth of God. And, and, I, say, and I think that's, again, going back to our, our it, it clarifies and makes very present the beauty of life in Christ in general, but also the beauty of the priesthood. And all of these different yeah. ways we see, you know, real holiness. And we can, yeah. we can say, I could do that, not because of my own w abilities, but because, hey, if God can call them and give this person mm -hmm. the grace to, right. to step to out, do that, that. then I could as well. And they were all started by courageous bishops. Right, and yeah. Cardinal George started the Word on Fire with yeah. Father Barron. Right, yeah. um, Archbishop Chaput um, yeah. in Denver yeah. with Curtis Martin. Yeah, focused. it started here in Steubenville. He helped transplant that to Denver. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. You know better than I do. I yeah. thought it was Archbishop Chaput. So he started right here yeah, with you. Yeah, he did. And, and, and uh, well, that's impressive. Chaput had no problem wooing him away. No, I didn't yeah, realize that. Yeah. Yeah, the image of fire, God, I, I think, as a metaphor, is really very expressive. When you think of fire, it is destructive. Yeah. It, it's consuming, but it's also refining, I purifying. I, I was struck by a meditation that Father Barron wrote recently in Magnificat where he compared Christ to an arsonist. You know, Jesus <laughs> says, I come to light a fire on the earth and how I wish it were yeah. blazing. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of fire that we like to see in these young yeah. men who are bound for title, priesthood. Yeah. Yeah. Word yeah. on fire. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. recurrent throughout uh, the scriptures. It is beautiful. Well, I, if we look at these, these new bright lights of the new evangelization, what role do we as laity have in encouraging and participating in, in helping our vocations uh, to, to priesthood and religious life? How do we participate in an effective I think supporting way? our priests as much as we can and our mm. bishops yeah. and those of us who write responding yes. when they're attacked yes. and doing whatever we can. And those of us who don't write praying and letting them know that you're praying for them. I think that makes all the difference in the world. Whatever yeah, because they, they sometimes feel very alone. Oh, I, I know. Think. I think yeah. they do. I know Archbishop Laurie had such a hard time when he was in Bridgeport oh. with these groups that were, um, I mean, this was, it was unbelievable. I, I worried that the, the government was actually going to take over our church, and he mm. was, he was alone in this. Right. But once he got the troops mobilized, and that's what he did, yeah, I mean, what you're describing in many ways throughout the book, entitled Renewal, is personal renewal. Uh, and so we're not saved by doctrine, we're saved by Christ, but it's a Christ who calls us to follow Him. You know, when you study Peter in the Gospels, you realize he underwent a series of conversions. He's always been the paradigm or the model of moving from the purgative through the illuminative to the unitive. 
you know, and we can, we can denominate different stages of the spiritual life, but the fact is conversion is daily and it's mm -hmm. always hard. Yeah. And it comes through prayer, the sacraments, study, fellowship with collaborative efforts, you know, and this sort of thing. But this is probably the single greatest need, I think, for the laity right now in supporting our priests and supporting missionaries and groups like Focus and all of that. You know, we can, we can get caught up in what Leo XIII once described as Americanism, which was just a, an expression for activism, where you're doing all these external works, but the interior life is in decay. Right. It's drying up. Right. And I think the more we renew the interior life individually and in families and parishes, the more the fruit is going to continue to grow more abundantly. Yeah. yeah. And, and if the source of the renewal is ultimately the Holy Spirit, uh, whose wind blows where it willeth, there's no way you can contain the blaze or even predict the movements. Uh, he's utterly free. Uh, and uh, I, I'm struck by a, a comment that uh, I forget his name, but it was it was it was uh, spoken to Napoleon, who said, "Look, if you don't do what I tell you and move the church." to Paris so that I can run it. I'm going to destroy the church. And I think the, the, the Secretary of State, the Pope's uh, Cardinal said, look, you know, we priests have been trying to do this to the church for 2,000 years and we haven't succeeded. What makes you think, Napoleon, that you can destroy the church? Uh, I mean, this is a proof of the church's indefectibility that nothing can conspire. Uh, to, to destroy her. No. I mean, the source is elsewhere. It's transcendent. Well, what else can we do, even in our homes, with our spouses and our children or our grandchildren uh, in serving the church and promoting vocations or encouraging? Well, prayer, prayer. of course. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the most powerful. Yeah. I've always believed that. And a reminder to appreciate the priests, because they do make a huge sacrifice, and they are different from us. Yeah, yeah. Um, we don't want to think that they're just like regular people. They're not. Well, <laughs> yeah, they are they human, and sometimes they, they, are, they like I to know, die. So they need friends so that we can yeah. invite them. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, that's where vocations begin in the family. Yeah. That's right. It's not an abstraction. It's something real and concrete. And if you don't speak well of priests, then why would your sons uh, want to become one? That's right. So you have to build them up. Yeah. And I think even just in our, our family, we try to surround them with good examples because sometimes there are uh, priests who both from there, they need to have the, the having over for dinner or having mm -hmm. some time to just visit with them. But it's great for our kids to see these men and the religious uh, uh, sisters, right. to see the beauty and the joy. Uh, I was just talking to Bishop Monfort and he said, well, our, our, our bishop here, he said, well, I put in uh, images of the, the TOR Franciscan sisters at their profession because I want people to see the youth and the joy mm. of people making commitment to Christ. And he says that nice. typically we didn't do that. We'd oftentimes just see the image of the, the old nun uh, at her retirement or silver jubilee or something, you know. And, and I think we just need to see those images more constantly and regularly. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, mm. it, is, it is great. Well, uh, thank you for uh, being with us uh, on this third segment of Franciscan University Presents. Uh, you won't want to miss the final segment as we do our, our wrap up. Stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. As the director of the Priestly Discernment Program, I find these men truly striving for holiness, truly striving for that, that call to come to fulfillment in their life, that call of Christ to come to its fullest point. 
they are very devoted to Eucharistic adoration, very devoted to the Mass, and a, and a strong prayer life through holy hours and, and devotion. In our parish, we actually have a, a good amount of guys that have at least thought about the priesthood. Um, it's talked about a lot because our pastor, uh, our priest, is actually incredible. Uh, he loves his, his vocation so much that he's actually getting a lot of guys to begin discerning. So most people that I talk to are actually very open uh, and they're actually very excited that there's people in our parish that are open to the will of God. My name is Joseph Frelich. I'm a chemistry major, biology minor here at Franciscan University. I love the atmosphere, just completely centered around the Catholic faith. When I play soccer, when I'm in classes, everything is, has that same Catholic attitude. Myself and a few other chemistry majors have the opportunity to work with top scientists in order to combat neglected diseases. I was able to connect my love for chemistry and also my love for mission work by synthesizing chemical compounds. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about renewal with our special guest, Dr. Ann Hendershot, author and professor. Um, this is our final segment. Um, so Regis, I'd ask you to start us off yeah. with some, some yeah, of your I final thoughts. Some uh, scattered impressions, but uh, uh, I, I can't help but begin by telling you uh, how grateful I am uh, that you're here and uh, for not just your presence, but the book uh, you've written, which is really quite splendid. And I think you're part of that renewal. I, I, I'd hate to think that we're just remnants. Uh, you know, you know, the future belongs to people who show up and the church throws open the door into the future because she is the bearer of, of hope and, and hope can survive all the setbacks, all the vicissitudes of time uh, and space. So we're, we're Easter people and Alleluia <laughs> is our song. Uh, I'm struck by, by the word crisis, the phenomenon of crisis. Uh, it, it means a judgment. And, and it seems to me that, that the judgment we face is twofold. There's a crisis of faith, of belief. I mean, people just don't know what to believe. But there's also a moral crisis, a crisis of courage. They know what to believe, but they don't have the courage to defend it. And the nice thing about your book is that it combines uh, the two folk who have both, who know what to believe. They're bishops after all. They're spearheading great dioceses. They're shepherds of Jesus Christ. And they have the kidney, the strength of character, mm -hmm. the courage. They can summon that energy to go out and defend what they know is true. And that's inspiring. And that does, I think, generate uh, vocations. I, I had quoted Father Barron in the last segment. Uh, in that little meditation, he goes on to describe Christ as not just an arsonist, but a home wrecker, because he comes with a sword to divide and conquer. He's not interested in peace at any price, but mm. he's interested in a new world. He comes to establish the family of God. And that means a lot of dysfunctional families are gonna have to get displaced. Uh, and the priest, I, I think, is the one who shows us the way, who reminds us that we're here for a purpose and we need to harness our energies to that purpose. And if we succeed, as Catherine of Siena tells us, we will light the world on fire. And that, I think, is, uh, is the hope that drives us. Mm. Thank you, Regis. Scott. You know, we just finished up a year of faith. Mm. And as I think about how our Lord has used the vicars of Christ and John Paul and Benedict 
and now Francis to sort of revitalize. It really has recharged our batteries and I think it's time for us to recognize the need that we have to play a part in contributing to the renewal. You know, and so family rosary, regular confession, Eucharistic adoration. I was thinking of Magnificat, you know, mm. you were quoting from that earlier. Yeah. What a great tool that has been for our family and here at the school as well. We've talked a lot about focus, but you know, across the board, I think we also recognize that renewal is coming through schools like Franciscan, like Benedictine, yeah. you know, like uh, Ave Maria, you know, like Belmont Abbey, and there are lots of others, Christendom College, and it's exciting to see all of these. And I would, I would really single out the need for renewal to take root in Catholic higher education because that's where leaders are formed. That's where ideas are inseminated. That's where lives are transformed precisely at the moment when lifelong commitments are about to be made, decisions, discernment, that sort of thing. And so, you know, I see the great hope being in the seminaries as well as in these Catholic universities and colleges. But I would also, you know, end this by saying, we have not seen enough. We need a whole lot more. Because if we just sit back now and say, well, look, you know, the crisis is abated. You know, there was a magazine founded in the 80s, Crisis. Now it's kind of gone online. It's not a, you know, the crisis hasn't gone away. And I, and I think it's important for us to recognize that for the sake of our kids, and now we have eight grandkids, for their sake, we consecrate ourselves anew and allow ourselves to be renewed. And I think your book is going to be a really important instrument in that. I mm. hope so. Thank you for mm. writing Thank it. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Anne? Yeah, I appreciate that, Scott, so much, because I, I hope I am part of the renewal. I would like to be, because I think it's so important. Uh -huh. um, I worry um, because we still don't have enough priests, of course, even though the trajectory is good and I'm hopeful for the future. Mm -hmm. In 1965, we had one priest for every 670 or 700 people, and now it's one priest for 2,000 Catholics. So it's, um, it's daunting. The challenge is daunting. But the good news is that the priests we have are wonderful. And they're happy priests. There's a couple of new good books by Father Rossetti, who is head of the St. Luke Institute. Maybe you've read them, The, the Joy of Priesthood. Mm. And it celebrates priesthood, but it's um, survey data. He's a sociologist, um, and he's collected some wonderful data. And priests are happy with their jobs, you know, despite all of the, the difficulties we had in the crisis of 2002, the scandal. Priests are still happy, and they're... 97% say that they have no intention of leaving the priesthood. Mm. So that's a good, good, that's positive. <laughs> the millennial priests are amazing. They're, um, so I think we have reason to hope. Um, and they're young. They are. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, Anne, thank you for, uh, for writing this book, for taking the time and the effort to really compile some great, not just statistics, but great stories mm -hmm. and great reason for hope uh, for our church. Um, uh, renewal is available uh, any place you buy good right. books. <laughs> um, and uh, if you've enjoyed today's topic, uh, we have a free handout that you could download. Uh, this is uh, Anne, an article she wrote, I believe, for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Traditional Catholicism is Winning. Uh, it's a great article. You can download it at faithandreason.com or for just contacting us. Um,
When we look out at our church, uh, we know that a new evangelization is called for, uh, but it comes with a new Pentecost. And as Regis shared earlier, the quote from St. Uh, Catherine of Siena, if you are who you were meant to be, you would set the world on fire. I, I believe that's exactly what our church needs today. The holy men and women in all areas of life and in the home, in the workplace, um, as bishops and priests, uh, we need to set that world on fire because people will be drawn only to things that are attractive, uh, things that really do set them on fire. And so we, in all of our ways, can help in vocations if we are true to our calling and, and really are out there as evangelists, as witness uh, to the joy uh, of true Christian life. Um, and I just want to thank uh, the bishops and priests uh, who are watching, who have stepped up. If you're watching EWTN, you have stepped up and, and you know what it, what it means and how important it is uh, for us as laity to see you. Your witness is convicting and inspiring and gives us great, great hope. So thank you for what you're doing. Um, I also just speak to uh, families. Uh, there's a great quote from St. John of Vienne uh, that a priest alone is a priest in danger. And we need to uh, reach out to priests, reach out and, and be friends, uh, be brothers and sisters to them, and also give our children the clear example uh, of what a, a priest or a religious sister or, or others who have given their life uh, in service of Christ. Um, thank you for, for watching Franciscan University Presents. This show really springs forth from the mission of Franciscan University. Our mission is to uh, form the students who will be transforming the world. And I want to invite you to be a part of that mission. Uh, maybe it's coming to one of our, our summer conferences uh, over the summer. Uh, maybe it's, it's coming here to study on our campus uh, with great professors like this. Uh, maybe it's through our distance or online learning. Um, or maybe it's just joining us at faithandreason.com where there are great talks and lectures and inspiring uh, um, and so many areas to equip you for the new evangelization. Uh, Franciscan University stands ready to be your partner uh, in the new evangelization. Thank you for watching Franciscan University Presents and until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357. 